Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bench Units podcast. Uh, I'm still James McSorley and I am still joined by Mark Schofield. How are you doing? I am still good. Thank you for asking. How are you? Great. Yeah, not too bad. Thanks. I wondered if it sounded like if I sounded less impressed with being joined by you or being me. Um, <laughs> yeah, always start on the existential. I still want to know if we caused any existential crises to people a couple of weeks ago when, when I kind of pushed for it, but yeah I don't, we've not heard anything about it so we'll assume we're in the clear yeah. i have a question to get us started that i've been pondering oh god wow you've really taken my bit and run with it i like it you're on board i like that you're on board what is it is it to How... do with my dentist appointment this morning because if not <laughs> yeah it can be Go no on. i'm joking what was your question my question is how slash how much time does it take to decide whether someone is overrated or underrated uh, I would like to answer this question without ever finding out who you mean. Um, I don't really know who. I, I genuinely started it because I was watching a live stream of a concert and I was like, this guitarist is like, how does everyone not know this guy's the best like lead guitarist in the world? And I w- decided that in like 10 minutes of watching a concert and I was like, this guy's the most underrated musician to ever live. And then I was like, how long do I assign to like basketball players before I decide that I know better than the consensus? Yeah, I think able-bodied basketball, I, I'm not sure. It's probably situational. You probably need to see someone in like two different teams yeah. that give them a chance because they might have like guys in the NBA that went one way and were really bad and then had a second chance and a coach that actually put them in different spots on the floor. Um, yeah, I think there's too many of those for me to be like, ah, this guy's had eight games in the NBA. He's a <laughs> load of crap. Um <laughs> But in the wheelchair game, I think the situation is even more so relevant because you could even go to a second team and then play in a different lineup configuration. Like there are probably twos that play great with two fours on the floor that maybe don't play great with a bunch of threes. Like there's probably ones that, you know what I mean? Well, ones and four fives are a little different in that regard. But, you know, there's probably guys that play really, really well in certain situations that super don't when they have to do a little bit more but i don't know it's so your your take is probably waiting till the person in question's career has finished and then being like oh yeah they were pretty good uh yeah also i just think the world of like the world of wheelchair basketball and the knowledge of wheelchair basketball is still rudimentary enough that we probably know nothing um which is what we're trying to get through um back to the existential stuff again yeah, no, but there, there is actually it. Like, there are so many times where you're like, ah, I don't think this guy's that good. And then you're like, ah, well, what do I know? Because there's no, like, 40, 50-year historical basis of, like, if you're able to do this, this, and this, or if you can go this many points, rebounds, whatever, you're probably on the same level as these guys. Like, we're really in, like, the third generation of wheelchair basketball, aren't we, at this point? Yeah, true. But, okay, I feel like we've got we've got deep on this question. <laughs> this is probably an episode in itself. This is probably the stuff that I'm going to do if you disappear for a while, which is any day now, everyone. Oh, Mark, I've decided the first podcast that I do without you, even though it will because it will be because you're a new father. I'm going to claim that it's because of creative differences. <laughs> <laughs> creative difference. Can it be titled "Procreative Differences"? If yeah. so creative difference mark has created a child and that child has arrived uh, well, I, that's terrible if we get if we're like offloading the jokes early i was planning on my first episode back to be like hey, it's nice to be back with my first family or my first baby 
Yeah. Being like, wow, I've got, I really, you guys really prepared me for babysitting when I've had to watch James through podcasts. (laughs) All right. So we are going to run through the games in Spain and Germany in the order that they have been put in our Substack, which Mark has very kindly put together with all the links and all the stats for the games in Spain and Germany this weekend. So if you want to kind of follow along or also just if you need to know what games are on and when and where to find them, we've put that together because someone got in touch and asked for it and we thought it was a good idea and Mark does all the work. <laughs> that, yeah, things to note from this, there will be ideally one of these every week when there are games coming up um, and we'll get the stats and the links there so it'll be like a one-place depository that sh- will be available to everybody. Uh, we think it's about time because we have had like incidents in the past where we've talked about a game and then somebody's been like, where was the stream for this? Yeah, um, like and- once a week, I'm like, Mark, where do I watch this game? <laughs> talk about it, and you're like, Oh, yeah, it's one of the well, yeah. I tried, I tried to save you there by saying somebody, and then yeah. you're like, it was me. It's uh, always me being like, Hey, where in God's name are the Vspaden games? And you being like, They're not on Sport Deutschland, obviously. No, so, but- yeah, we put this together because somebody asked for it. But the other important thing to notice here is don't ask for too many things because that will get to a point where we say we can't do them. So, on that yeah. note. Should we crack on? All right. So game one, Amivel, uh, Amivel Reyes Gutierrez. Wow. I just had a brain fart there. Okay. Malaga, 67. Uh, Amphi Vigo, 47. So this was 11 a.m. Uh, well, 12 for us in Spain. Um, 11 a.m. for you. And yeah, Malaga got it together from yeah, it the very first couple of minutes. It was... 2012 first quarter and then they kind of didn't really look back they lost the fourth quarter by one but apart from that this was pretty comprehensive yeah this was i mean there was a point mid first quarter ish where it was like 14 11 malaga um but that was off the back of i think basti kolb and agustin lejos having hit three threes of vigo's 11 points and it was like yeah this is probably not hugely tenable for 35 more minutes um, exactly and even if it had been they would have they would have lost anyway because they were down at that point so um yeah i mean this malaga started without kyle again and went to their more mobile unit and i think it really took away the jason bettencourt aspect of vigo specifically um he's gigantic but he's not mobile enough to be like battling with the likes of lewis edwards and pete cusack and those guys no. Um, yeah, and this, as much as this was Malaga being better, this combined with Vigo losing to Mercia last week strikes me as they maybe had a couple of close games because they've got some new guys in. And now maybe the sc- scouting report is out on guys like Basti Kolb and Jason Betancourt, who were relative unknowns, and Vigo don't have a lot of guys outside of their initial five. So. I think they've maybe kind of got the jump now and they don't have anything more up their sleeve was how I felt this game went. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Um, Malaga are also another week into playing this lineup that they've settled into, which is actually to points, yeah. which it's it must be hard having to go with like leaving some guys like Kyle Marsh on the bench just to be able to play to points. But that's the kind of the thing we've spoken about, the Spanish the, the the Spanish rule, like, which uh, they would typically have compensated for by 
allowing anybody under the age of 38 to have a junior point, but Malaga actually aren't loaded up on those guys this year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, pretty efficient game from Esparza uh, was all right. Abdi, seven from 10. Esparza uh, shot 50% bar. He missed a three. Um, those guys were all in the plus. Like you look at their starters are plus 18, plus 18, plus 14. And Lewis and Pete were plus 23. Um, yeah, man, this was, I don't know. This was one of the, there were a very, there were a handful of very interesting games this week based on form. And I was like, oh, you know, Amphie have been playing pretty well. Malaga uh, have had some struggles, this, that, and the other. But like, if you ask me what would have happened in this game before the start of the season, I would have been like, yeah, Malaga by 20. No question. Um, so maybe this is like, those two teams playing about how they're meant to. I yeah. do think the mobility takes a lot of Alejos's stuff away. Um, they're pretty big with their starters as well, apart from Abdi. Um, Lewis and Pete, obviously big sort of mids. I mean, Esparza is massive, and I always forget that he's massive. <laughs> and then you've got another three there, and Abdi obviously is a pretty tall one. But yeah, four big enough guys on the floor, you can kind of take away some of what Alejos did. He's still 18 points on pretty efficient scoring because he's yeah. Augustine Alejos. But similar to what we talked about with Vigo last week, though, was uh, when they played Mercia, he he got 12 shots up in that game. I think he got 14 shots up in this game, and it just—I mean—the only him and Basikov were seven from 14 and seven from 13 respectively. But then there are other two guys who are going to put the points up, being Betancourt and. Um, Julio Villas were combined five from 21 and when your main guy is struggling to get the number of shots up he typically would you've got to have your role players finish efficiently at the very least and their two best inside finishers didn't really do that yeah so my question with Malaga is I I get why they've gone to this lineup. I just don't see Kyle coming off the bench for the entire season. It just seems maybe maybe it's because like he obviously had the year he had last year and whatever, and he's started for Albacete for as long as Albacete have been relevant. But yeah, if this wasn't a if this wasn't a weird lineup, weird rule thing, like Kyle plays forty minutes on any team oh, in the yeah. world, like he was yeah. the best player, best player on a team that won champions cup last year and that's not to say anything about the other six or seven guys that played a lot of heavy minutes there there's like a handful of all-time greats on that team as well but i mean just like he played 40 minutes on a team that won champions cup (laughs) as a two it's it's that simple i they'll roll with this for a little bit i can't imagine i think they'll come up against a game that they really see as a test for them and they'll probably sacrifice going back to being under points to get kyle in there for Bigger stretch of the game. He only played 13 minutes in this game, but it's a 20-point difference, so it's maybe not a fair indication. The um, other thing I thought with Malaga was Cozzarinha had some on-ball mismatch hunting where he just dribbled into a mismatch, and I think he hit two or three, one of them being like a free-throw line post-up and one. And it's like, okay, if this guy is going to dribble into his own mismatches, maybe I'll worry about how Malaga's offense sinks up a vastly overblown if it's just like, hey, give it to that guy who feels like he never misses. Yeah. He yeah. Um yeah, they they looked really good. And it's a weird one where they kind of haven't for the last while. And 
you don't want to in the same way as the conversation we started at the start about like underrated overrated whatever you don't want to be like ah great everything's fine again <laughs> or you don't want to be vegan and be like ah all the great things we've done this season so far have been for nothing but step in the right direction um but yeah should we move on let's do it all right next game uh joventut uh 46 bilbao 80 these stats are wrong <laughs> uh but it's fine that's not our fault and the liga bsr stats are the same and also wrong because did you watch this game i did uh how many minutes did i play uh well i wasn't counting but yeah first half <laughs> and i yeah, played 10 minutes in this game uh that's not me being like well look at me i'm just being like <laughs> i can't 100 percent remember much of the rest of the stats exactly but you know how much you, you played yourself but yeah these are wrong uh but thank god we don't need to talk about this one too much in depth yeah, uh we had a bit of a slow start it was one of those games where we were like okay the refs aren't going to blow a whistle at all here because that kind of that happens every so often when a bigger team plays a lower down team, a team that's just been promoted. Also, I'm under no illusions that we do ourselves no favors with the ref sometimes anyway, <laughs> but we were just not getting any whistles. And I was like, all right, can we just chip away at this and, and all find a run at some point? All the Bilbao guys were like, no, no, no. Arguing with refs first game outcome second. <laughs> You'll learn no, no, no. I literally, I like, Halfway through the first quarter, I went up to someone. I was like, all right, bit by bit, we'll figure it out. It's kind of that thing where you want to like drill away at at the floor and you're like, okay, I'll keep chipping here, chipping here. And then you find oil at some point. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was one of those where it was like, hey, we're going to have like, there's enough quality in this team that either they're going to sort of fall off because there's some older guys on that team or we're going to get someone going and Fabi got going and Asier got going. And yeah, we did all right. Uh, Not a lot to talk about. Did you see anything interesting here? No, I think Papi's been a bit up and down for you guys through the first handful of games, but I think I've been interested by the fact that his game seems to have been like the opening weekend. I can't remember what they called the Super Copper. Is that what it was? Yes, um, the Super Plate. Yeah, that's the one. Um, super Plaque. <laughs> they, um, I don't like that. We Pappy's... didn't win it. I don't know what they give out week in third. <laughs> <laughs> Papi was nuts uh, against like Lunion in that first game, and it essentially seems like his game is geared up to like rise to the occasion against really strong teams, dominate really bad teams, and then he seems to struggle against teams in the middle. Which I don't know if that's just like we've only got a handful of weeks to analyze here, but that's certainly what it feels like. I mean, he this team had no match for it, and he was like. I think he must have made the same shot about four or five times in a row where it was literally like roll down one dribble behind the screen, make it. And it's like, are they going to stop this? And the answer yeah. Was... I think I've kind of played primarily in the same spot two years in a row, but the difference was I was with Hasso last year and I'm with Papi this year. And obviously me being a sort of a two that never figured out how to shoot the ball. Uh, I'm way happier with the shooter behind me than I am behind a screen. So there was a weird thing of like, we'd run in transition and I would be like going hell for leather to try and just like seal anyone in who will follow me. But then playing with Papi, he's like, Mom, I'm good here. Like <laughs> you get to him being like a chair, like a chair above the block. And he's like, mm, this is, yeah, this is fine. Like, and I spoke to, 
him at one point because obviously that's an adjustment for everyone who's not playing with someone who's a giant who wants to go inside and is playing with someone who's a bit more perimeter oriented. And I was like, this is also a layup. Like we don't need to worry about that. If we're talking like 80 something percent anyway, I think we're good, but yeah, he's the man. And I think he'll just get more and more comfortable in this team as it goes on because man, he can shoot the ball. And that is the most transferable of skills. Like you could show up to a team anywhere in the world and not be able to speak the language and kind of just, fill that spot well, like it reminds me of when jr smith showed up to and he's a way better equivalent than jr smith being a role player on uh well shooter on a championship winning team but you know what i mean um he got there and he was like i don't know any of the plays or anything but like go where they're not and shoot it <laughs> if i'm open is kind of until i figure it out and yeah he's well, the man. The, the only flaw in that argument is J.R. Smith never tacked on the if I'm open bit. He's like, hey, go where they're not or where they are and shoot it. No, I just remember him describing it as go where they're not. And I was like, wow, have you just described like the really, really technical act of spacing? Like the <laughs> thing that the thing that like guys that sprint around screens for a living, like put loads of studying into. And he's like, nah, <laughs> if someone <laughs> isn't here, I can be there. <laughs> physics right all right next one so this was the game of the week candidate um it didn't feel massively game of the week when i watched it i think it was pretty intense but i'll uh, we've not spoken about this one semi-deliberately so i'm excited for your take on Illunion 64 amiab 80 this felt comprehensive well it was it was a 16 point win but i would probably say it felt more comprehensive than it was like there was a little run um where philipski was sitting out because of foul trouble and the union put the lineup that i think is their best lineup in and i don't really know why it won't it doesn't play more um uh this is not to say anything about the guys that aren't on the floor i think they came out sort of mid pointy to try i say that they had two four like they had a four and a half and a four on the floor but they came up with a two threes and i wonder if it was an attempt to match up with the pace of amiab and i don't like i don't think you can like i think if you've got like the most dominant four or five in the world um flying up and down the floor you've got two gigantic threes and every time i think about amiab i've spoken to you about this before i forget someone i'm like who's there for oh yeah (laughs) philipski or i'll be like oh yeah. Oh yeah, Alejandro's as well as there. He's quite good. I think I think I maybe spoke about this in like our first episode, but when I'd been speaking to Ben Fox about how they were feeling for the um like going into the season, he was like, Yeah, we think we just want to get up and down. I was like, Have you guys got enough shooting? If not, he's like, Oh, Philipski. I was like, Oh, I literally forgot about it. <laughs> That's what I mean? And ridiculous. But That's um the other weird takeaway of this game. I say the weird takeaway of this game, you're like, Yeah, Philipski's pretty good, like plus eighteen. Um, he obviously like that was the thing he came out in file trouble, and Illunion's run that might have been the their sort of I don't know they're like they're have their crack at bringing the game back. He came back in the floor. He came back on the floor, kind of steadied the ship, and yeah, I mean, but I mean, I kind of. I don't think there was any point where I thought they were losing this game. Strangely, what was here's a question: What was Alunian's best lineup plus minus? I love asking you this. This is my favorite. Uh, 
the best plus minus lineup, I would go. Let's see. Um, let's go, Greg. Terry, Hasso, Bill, and I think do they have Sour in that one as well? Pablo Lavandera played. Because okay, uh, Egan, Egan's still get a point off. Yeah, yeah that stuff because sure. he's still a junior apparently, which is nuts. Because he See, seems like he's been around for ages. But yeah, like we spoke about this, I would think that their best lineup, but obviously having lineup versatility is important. But that was plus. That was only plus four in I don't know how many minutes, but. They how many minutes they're plus whatever in is important, but that's not information I have. Yeah, I I mean, my takeaway from this game generally was I think Amiab showed exactly who they are. Um, I don't think this, although it was a very like you say comprehensive win, I don't think this was Amiab exploding to another level as much as it was Illunion. Thinking them and Amiab were on the level coming into the game and looking very caught off guard for most of the first half. Um, yeah. Illunion looked a lot like they struggled with the pace of it. Like they started Hasso and they went Hasso and Bill at one point and were still not getting back and matching up with Lee. And it's like, you got, you're the only team that has the size to do this. It is entirely pointless if you're not going to push back um, yeah, I, and I don't I don't know if obviously I'm not sure what the deal is here, but I'd say if you're a team like Alunion that wants to be able to match up with Amiab and you sign a guy like Hasso, that's kind of at least what you sign Hasso because I think Hasso is great. But I think also there's like a real concrete thing of like, hey, we got to sign this massive guy because it's one of the only few guys that is big enough to yeah. try and deal with Lee. And it kind of doesn't matter if you're underneath your own basket with someone else's chair on your footplate, or if you're like blowing too much to get there, like yeah. in a half court, I would say like he did pretty well for us in Bilbao last year against Lee. Um, I think I don't remember the numbers obviously, but we were one and one against them. So I, I can, yeah, like, yeah. Being massive doesn't matter if you're not there. Yeah, Illunion really looked for at least the first half. They really looked like the pace of the game surprised them. It was it even stuff like there was there was one play where Terry brought the ball down the right wing, like faked a pass, and then was like dribbling around a pick, and he had a open, open, open layup, and he took so long doing that that I think like Phil pushed back and got a piece of the shot from behind, and it's like that's the mistake of teams that are like lost in the moment kind of thing rather than you know that's not a technical issue where they're not executing that's just being like uh i've got an opportunity here we've not had any i better not mess this one up and like taking too long i thought that was very emblematic of illunion's game generally i just didn't think they were very good yeah and also there's just like a i don't know what's the best way to describe this like I, and I don't know if it's like there's still like new signings being incorporated and whatever, but there were a lot of times where you'd have like just, I don't know, Bill and Hasso end up on the same side. You've got like a one floating around, like, I don't know. And I think to not be too harsh on one team and to give another team credit, which I'm always keen to do, um, like Amiab have just got, got so much size that that freaks you out into the point of where you're like, oh God, like, but where should I go? Like, I need to get away from this guy or can we get into something against these two? And, you know, you just end up kind of flying around trying to find 
mismatches or trying to find certain matchups and they can just I don't know Amiab are just so big that they can cover so much space they managed to sort of barricade the rim and also kind of deny threes at the same time like I don't know like I think that a big part of it is that's like pretty indicative with Greg who was probably Lunion's Greg and Bill were the most consistent guys I would have said and Greg had like 13 points and was six from 10. But I think even his first shot was like off a little point pick for Terry. He tried to sneak inside and then I think he got like a chair length below the free throw line. And he was like, okay, I'm just going to have to heave the shot up like floater style before four bigs collapse on me. So that like Greg still got his shots up. But I think with guys like him, I have take away an element of creation for others because he's not a threat to drive and finish against them sure so i think ultimately amiab were really good and did exactly what you would expect them to do i just felt like they took the game way more in their direction stylistically than ilunion were ever able to figure out how to combat yeah for sure um Oh, and Filipski and Hasso got into a yelling match at one point, which, if anyone is a semi-accomplished lip breeder, I urge you to go back and watch the replay of that. Oh, yeah. I, I wondered if you were asking whether like, whether I had read his lips or whatever, but it's hilarious. <laughs> Just, like, that <laughs> happening, and then, so like, a referee being like, hey, technical, obviously. <laughs> Great, but yeah. Um, um, yeah, well, the, the kicker to that was he yelled at Filipski a handful of times, and then when the ref tried to calm him down, he tried to say, he was like staring directly at Filipski, but tried to say he'd been like looking at Amadou, who was behind Filipski on the bench. I was like, that is not in a million years going to work. The ref is not going to believe you're cursing out your own teammate who isn't playing currently. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Alonian are probably, I would say, still the second best team in Spain. But I think this game, and the fact that they've now played twice and whatever, I think it's second best. Like the gaps being established at this point, I think. Sure. Yeah, I can't wait to see these guys play again. But this was, yeah, comprehensive. Yeah. All right. Oh god, I've opened up a stream rather than the stats. Oh no. Oh, if only they weren't so conveniently located right next to each other. I know. All right. Um, Next game: Leganes, uh, sixty. Gran Canaria, fifty-eight. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this was like I was watching it and I was like they're up 24-12 or they're up whatever. Like when does this happen? And then yeah, pretty Yeah. It was 24-12 at one point. Um they Leganes started with Christian Gomez and Carlos Vera, and it's if anything, you're putting yourself at a speed disadvantage against Alexi Ramone and Jorge Salazar, and probably as important, you're rolling out two guys who are probably more speed equivalent to Richard Noche, who's now not being overstretched, trying to keep up with guys more mobile than him. Um, yeah. And yeah, Leganes just looked lost, and they went to the Philip Halfley and Alexis Ruiz lineup for the bulk of the game after that. Uh, and they didn't really get it together. After that slow start, it took, you know, the remaining 25 minutes of the game to claw their way back to win by two. They actually won the fourth quarter by nine, which 
I mean, nobody would have accused this game of being an offensive showcase based on what we've seen from the team so far. But I think Leganes felt like they made every shot they needed to at a critical time. And I think they maybe get better looks consistently than Gran Canaria do, who still feel a little bit jungle bally. Yeah, there's a little thing of the Gran Canaria style of the last handful of years where you had all this lovely ball movement, but you also had a little bit you had a little bit more going inside. Like how many Grand Canary offenses do you see where it's like pick and roll one side, triple down, ball goes to the middle, ball goes to a shooter on the weak side, ball goes back to a guy in the middle, back over, and it's just like ball doesn't touch the paint once because you have gotten to a point where you've either gotten to a point where you need to sort of redistribute your talent and you have a guy like Jorge Salazar who's like great inside you have him sitting behind screens on weak sides which is not like you want that guy going inside and playing massive for a three five and so it's either you have to redistribute or alternatively it's I would say it's a misuse of this where you've got Richard Noche on the block on the strong side but there's just too many too many games where I mean too many plays where the ball just kind of goes one to three to weak side back to one to three like yeah yeah it's um and that that's actually why I think although Leganes don't play massively inventive basketball they swing the ball around and then they've got guys who are pretty content mismatch shooters uh you could argue overly content in some cases but I think they kind of have hit the balance a little bit better of being like, okay, we've looked for what we want. Like we've got six seconds left. We're just going to have to get a shot up. And the young guy, Matias Mendez hit two or three that were huge. Um, Yeah. I just thought they, they executed better in the fourth quarter and they got better looks consistently. And crucial point of this game was Alexis Ruiz trying to throw Cano an outlet pass that bounced short and Ramone snuck in and stole it. And instead of pushing back, Cano turned around, like made eye contact with him and like mimed a full arm javelin passes in like actually giving it enough power. And I was like, well, that may be, but also get back on defense. You're on a live stream here. They have a really funny thing where it's like they play old man basketball, but then they've also got like Matias Mendez, Philip Hafley, and crucially Cano, the ultimate wild card. Like I was I watched this game this morning. Uh, beside Anna and I was just trying to explain what about Cano <laughs> makes me so happy when I'm watching him because it's like there were two plays where he kind of came off a point pick and just sort of twisted his way just below the free throw line and shot a weird fade away yeah. against someone bigger than him and he made the first one and he just dropped the ball out of the baseline on the second one and I was like what I love about this is like this is the exact same thing but just either of these things can happen at any given point so it's just funny because they've got like that little injection of like youth and pace and then they've also got kind of just and once again I'm not like this sounds disparaging when I say just kind of looking like he does whatever he wants but I mean that little bit of like creativity or that random. little spark is so that randomness is just so much fun to watch I'm such a fan once yeah. again also we need more people with like shooting sleeves and two sweatbands and headbands in the league <laughs> because we love that yeah. Right. Uh, well, also massive point of this is uh, Salazar filed out with a few minutes to go and that's kind of when the game yeah he did 
Richard Noche did do his best to drag Gran Canaria back into it by himself. I think he like made an and one, missed the free throw, and then he caught the ball on the baseline and had Halfley like flying at him and drained him over the top. But that made it a four point game. Yeah, um, I just it it's worth noting that David Hernandez and Jorge Salazar's the starters were plus seven, so like that's relevant. I think we'd be remiss to not mention that. Fair point. Also, yeah, shout out to Richie rolling back the years. Okay, next game. Yep. Uh, so I missed this one. This is the first, the only game in Spain that I didn't get to watch any of. Uh, Madiba sixty nine. Uh, Ferrol sixty three. So would you like to tell me about this and talk to me about John hitting getting 31? I would. Yeah, that was the the headline. Um this was by no means beautiful basketball on either side, <laughs> I don't think. Um this were this was kind of Madiba, what we talked about last week with their guys now being able to their bigs being able to go off the ball a little bit more with Jose Leap's introduction. Um so this was very much John and to a lesser extent Salvador picking their spots mismatch wise. Um and yeah, Jose Leap was two from 17, which is not great going, but I think his presence has also given Joymar a bit more of an offensive role. Um I think if you watch the early Madiba games, the the two bigs were kind of balancing being main ball handlers and just having to look for their own shots through lack of options. Whereas I think Jose Leap being like a bit more of a creator, Joy Mars getting like a handful of layups every game and 11 points from your, who would be your fourth guy, but was your third guy in this case, because Jose Leap was struggling. Um, but yeah, this was ultimately, this is probably closer than it came across. Um, Madiba had been ahead by a good chunk going into fourth. Um, Farrell had a run. And then Madiba put a load on to get back ahead to win it by six. But yeah, I mean, it was it was essentially as long as John was on the floor and able to go one-on-one, this was Madiba's game. But yeah, shout out to Pharrell, man. 29 from Lorenzo Embo and 22 from Carol Schultz. They've just, yeah, Madiba had three guys on this occasion hit double figures and one of their guys had 31. So any number of points from your two top guys is going to have to be pretty spectacular to outmatch that. Sure. All right. I don't want to talk too much about a game I haven't seen. No arguments on that one? No, none. Because I was watching some German games instead. Yeah, um, diversifying. Well, yeah, we have to. I can't just lie about watching games <laughs> all the time. Um, well, you can. We, I think we've enough evidence to say people don't know whether we've watched them or not. The that's trick, true. The, right. trick is, the trick is to not watch the games that we expect other people won't be watching, and then they'll never know if we're wrong. Yeah, there's a little like, hey, am I gonna watch Landale or Durgan winning by fifty? Nah, nah. I'll watch a little bit. Yeah. Every right. so often, if there's a game I really don't want to watch and Ayaka's clipped it, I'm like, hey, shout out Ayaka. <laughs> This is great. Thank you. Um, I can pretend I've watched this now because I can go some sort of qualitative information in amongst all the all the dumb stats. But all right, talking about games I have watched. Um Fundacion Aliados Fayadolid, sixty seven, Uca Murcia, sixty two. Man, this was a lot of fun. The the actual game of the week, more yeah, so man. um uh Amea Yeah, this one was 
utter mayhem. Uh, first quarter, I think we kind of knew, I don't know about you, but it very much felt like we knew what we were in for 10 minutes in when it was 21-18 to Vidalid. Um, there was also a sequence of Lalo getting four straight offensive rebounds in one possession, which, um, yeah, this was just, I think this one actually both teams evolved and executed really well as the game developed. Um, Lee Fryer particularly is late game reads basically kept Mercia in it. Uh, there was like two or three possessions in a row where it was like, come off the pick, get maybe a chair length inside the, you know, in the paint and post up the, like Maxi or Jonathan Soria who was left on him. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was just kind of considering we've talked about Mercia's willingness to fly up and down and try and never let, you know, an, a my turn, your turn thing be established. I thought they very much held their own for most of this game. Yeah, um, I was kind of, I was kind of watching this, being like, "When does the run happen? When does the little run happen?" And it was literally like last minute and a half, wasn't it? Yeah. Like from yeah. Romo hitting a mad three, which I was like, "Is that a two or is that a three? I don't know." There was a weird like the scoreboard wasn't right on the stream or something yeah, near was. the end, but that was absolutely nuts. And then that kind of spurred them on and. Man, oh man, Adrian Perez was yeah. just determined to be involved. Yeah. Like the last four plays of the game were like Adrian Perez block, uh, Adrian Perez bucket, Adrian Perez technical foul, Adrian <laughs> Perez bucket. Unbelievable. Just yeah, but... and I was like, who's winning this game? And like what happened? Like who won it for them? It was like, oh, Adrian Perez just went nuts and also got a tech in there. <laughs> this was kind of um I think Mercy is the kind of matchup, though, that's a good Adrian Perez game, just because he's not going. He's not going against any giants. Like he never has great games against like Hasso or you know whoever else. Ah, Lalo's a beast, but he's not like a. He's not vertically like. Yeah, Yeah, sure. Um, He's just the strongest man alive. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I thought uh, Vidalid executed pretty well. The they kind of went to the smaller lineup with CJ Grogan in for Yelma. That wasn't as effective for them in this game as it had been, uh, for example, against you guys a couple of weeks back. But yeah, I thought Yelma was well-placed as kind of the one true giant in this game. I think he was pretty efficient and good picking his spot. Yeah. Uh, I think both teams' offenses were pretty good, to be fair. And I I think both teams' offenses felt very um, competent considering this is a game that finished in the 60s, but it's not that often you see a well-balanced game finish like 80 to 80, I guess. There's kind of some give and take in the lack of transition points and all that stuff. Yeah, I was going to say it's the transition thing. It was like neither team shot over... Well, yeah, um, Mercia with 62 shots. Yeah. Um, 48% for Mercia and 52 for Vidalid is pretty um, indicative. It does say on these stats that they, they had Vidalid with 12 points in the paint, Mercia with 10. That absolutely cannot be the case. No, <laughs> that is incorrect. I wonder if they count like charge circle. I don't know how they stat this. I would love to talk to who's in charge of if they're, I'd love to talk to someone who's in charge of how they stat the league and when I find out that there definitely isn't someone in charge of it, I'd like <laughs> there to be one. But yeah, I thought this was interesting in terms of like 
just mid-game adjustments like you saw um, Mercia put on their second lineup, the press lineup, and then, I don't know, being pressed and being like, all right, CJ, let's go is a pretty good tool to have in your toolbox. CJ, CJ is fast, man. I oh, love- man. Yeah, he just like, who did he beat? Just one-on-one full court for let He missed the layup, but like yeah, I remember got, being he like... He got BL at one point. And then I BL think, is quick, man. I've played with and against him. And I was like, what? Who is this kid? What is I going think, on? I think CJ had one of my favorite wheelchair basketball things, which is going against somebody like going against a very known quick player. It's CJ like tried to take Lee Fryer down one sideline and Lee was like, hey, I've got him. And then was about two pushes in and was like, oh, I actually have to get my head down and get like four hard pushes in to keep with this guy. Like the Lee's moment. an absolute phenom at this point. That's been like a cool thing to watch because we've both known him since he was a kid. And yeah. we were all like, oh, this guy can move his chair like very few other people. But seeing him like sticking around in a well put together team and like using it within a structure, but still having the sort of wild card stuff every so often where you're like, oh, my God, how did you just like jump through two picks and get back on Robo's foot plate? Like, who, who who wins at wild card one on one between Lee and Cano? Oh, Lee. Cano's <laughs> not moving. Yeah, no, true. Is my point here. De- like, really good chair defense wins in wheelchair basketball one on one stuff. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. but what was I going to say? Oh, and then, um, yeah, vitally kind of figuring the press out. Mercia kind of like half went to press with their starters again, which I was like, oh, this is cool because you've still like, I know you've got a more pressy lineup with your second line, but the fact that you can go like Robles, Zarzuela, Lee, Lalo, who isn't slow, um, yeah. and Lourdes, like you're gonna have a weak point on the floor anyway. But like, they do pretty, they do a pretty good job. I noticed that like in their press lineup, they had Beatriz Udaire matched up with a, a one or a low pointer as much as possible in their press. So you're you know, you're accustomed to doing that stuff and to trying to protect certain people and get people into certain matchups anyway. So they kind of half went to a press with their starters for a little bit. And I was like, ooh, this is cool. But yeah, this was a lot of fun. People should watch this. Yeah, definitely. Um, And yeah, this, I think this one showed a bit of like, although Viadolid is still gelling with their new guys, this would strike me as a game that a still gelling team could very easily slip up and I know both you could say that about both teams, but this caught me as one where Mercia being able to like turn the press on and off would have got to Vidalid eventually. And I think Vidalid stayed very calm and collected and got through this, which I mean there there's a bunch of teams like stacked up for third and fourth place currently, but I think Vidalid rightfully stake a claim among the top four now and going forward. Yeah. I think so it was cool like you need to kind of yeah pull through one of those games yeah. to know that you've got it in you and they've done it already so yeah all right should we move on to germany let's do it all right first game up uh landil 71 uh Rhine river rhinos 49 um yeah this is what we kind of spoke about earlier we're like mm, yeah this was meant to be like well, definitely one of the best teams in Germany against third or fourth best team in Germany who were like, they're still waiting on a couple of guys who are either not coming or very late at this point. Um, I don't know. I've heard all sorts of mad 
different stuff. Yeah, but... I've heard a load of visory related stuff, but either either way, they're not here currently. And... Yes, and that means that they have a little bit less going on to try and give a team as well put together as Landil some trouble. First thing that popped out to me here, which was super cool, was them obviously still missing Tommy and just going like, all right, Quentin, here's the keys a little bit. Like, obviously, you don't need to hand the keys over completely when you've got guys like Gaz playing. Um, like that, those, the other four starters that aren't Tommy, are, there's plenty of talent going on between those guys that you don't have to just completely plug and play Quentin, but it's cool to see that you can do that with a with a young guy. I don't know how young he actually is. I might yeah, be. It's um, yeah, you're not handing him the keys and saying here save us, but like hey, here take a load of mad shots every yeah. game. But but um, yeah, I mean, this cut kind of illustrative of the game, I guess, is that Rose Holloman is Landil's top scorer here with seventeen points on seventy percent shooting in twenty five minutes, and of course she uh, is because that's yeah. what Rose does. Seven from ten. I've probably seen forty of those in three years. <laughs> but when you're Vispaden and you're you know you're going in, you know, undermanned and kind of shorthanded and you've not got massive flexibility, Landil are a team that's very happy to use their bench and rotate at all times. And you would almost hope if you're primarily rolling five guys out there, which they were that you could kind of win any of the minutes where they maybe went away from their preferred five. And when you've got Rio and Rose coming in off the bench and Rose is getting 17 on um, 10 shots, you're probably not winning those minutes against the bench. And it's like, it's a super disheartening thing to be happening to you if you're Eastbound. But also <laughs> they weren't really doing anything wrong other than getting beaten by a more talented team. Yeah. No, that's the thing. Like, this is how this game is meant to go, is what I keep saying when we talk about Landil or Turingen games. But there's a thing of like, try and game plan for Landil. I dare you. Like, <laughs> look at the field goal attempts for the players that played for Landil 11, 5, 3, 8, 5, 4, 7, 1, 12, 10. Like, who are you keying in on? Like, who who are you writing down on the whiteboard on Monday morning when you start talking about game planning? Like, they've just got so much talent and so such an even spread. Like, no one really... I actually think the answer is key, key in on Mark Bicet because he shoots the ball every time he catches it. <laughs> I think you can take their offense away from them if you just defend him. Yeah, but you need to be at the point where it's like a 30-point game. So... um. No, that was just a shout out to him because he lit. He's fully aware of the minutes he gets, and he's like, "Hey, if I'm getting on the floor, I'm getting shots up. Don't worry about me." I love it. Um, other side of the ball, not a massive amount going on. Uh, Aaron Young had to throw up some mad stuff at the end of shot clocks, or just kind of. There was a couple of points where she was like, "Man, eh, decent look. This has got to go." And Aaron Young does get double figures reliably regardless of who she is playing which i think is an underrated skill yes of course especially as a you know as a female big in a mixed league you don't draw the easiest matchups in the world and mismatches aren't always necessarily if you, you know you're going up against lows like yannick you're not like ah this is an easy mismatch so she worked hard to get shots man but yeah they're one and they're two are like the most physical one and the most yeah. physical two in the world <laughs> um but the, she takes a lot of the shots that like 
she would probably roll into in the women's game as like a sort of just below the elbow mismatch. But she's like, nah, as long as I get this shot up, it's still a good look. I don't like, I don't care if the defender in front of me is a foot taller, but yeah, Aaron Young is, is great, obviously. Yeah. Um, um, Another point here that's worth, is probably pretty irrelevant to this game, but Moji Kamali only playing 14 minutes after he only played 10 minutes last yeah. week when they lost to Hanover. I don't know if this is a high seven is their only real inside threat. I don't know if they're leaning more towards that lineup, but you would think when you're struggling to break down a defense, you could chuck in one of the most mobile big guys in the world anywhere and see if he could create some chaos. But Yeah, he also yeah. only got one shot up in 15 minutes and was yeah. minus 15. Um, oh, not... The plus minus doesn't really matter because you got smoked. Like, yeah. Plus minus in a game you lost by twenty isn't going to be indicative of a whole lot, but yeah, he's not not contributing a whole lot. I don't really know what the deal is there. But um, yeah, shout out to Landil. Um They've beaten Hanover and Wiesbaden at this point in relative, relatively um, convincing fashion. So as per usual, we just kind of have to sit back and wait for them to play Thuringen before we really know anything about the state of the German league. Yep. And that's what we'll do. We will sit back and wait. And while we wait, we will talk about Cologne 99ers versus Hot Rolling Bears. Um, do you have anything worth talking about? According to the stats, the score was 0-0. Zero to zero. The score yeah. was actually 82-29 Cologne. Um, yeah. And yeah, Thomas Raya had 22 points. Outside of that, this was Cologne seemingly finally finally being able to be like hey we have enough talent advantage that we can't shoot ourselves in the foot as they have done in previous games where they've had talent advantage um but yeah not really a lot here this was just cologne getting a much needed win yeah cologne picking up the sort of win that they're meant to pick up if they want to stick around in the league yeah cool uh not a whole lot to go on uh right uh monster bbc monsterland and ING Skywillage was next. So this was 67-53. This was a uh, I don't know. I wouldn't just I don't know if I'd describe it as fun. Like this was a one <laughs> that I saw the result and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Then I watched it and I was like, eh. eh yeah, the, well, first off, Munsterland have changed where their camera is in their sports hall, and it felt like if I died and come back with the explicit purpose of watching Munsterland and Skywheelers from floating somewhere around the ceiling. Did you, without understanding any German, did you think that the commentator sounded like he was talking from like a closet he was being held hostage in? Yeah. And I don't mean this is nothing to do with the man or what his voice or whatever, just the quality of the microphone. Yeah. I was just like, oh my goodness, like yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to it's hard to host a good stream for a wheelchair basketball yeah, game. It's I don't know. I've never thought their setup was an issue before. Um, so I don't quite know what was going on with this game, but yeah, it felt very much like an out of body experience watching this. But One yeah, of I mean, in mouth microphones. <laughs> Munsterland, their general formula is they've got size, and when they are not a huge mobility advantage disadvantage, they tend to do okay. You know, get Matthias Bellas to the edge of the key or closer and he's gonna put points on the board and he did just that. Yeah. 
he had 31 points on 19 shots. So shout out to him. Um, yeah, that's kind of the difference there. Soren Miller with a 40% 23 point game, shooting 25 shots. <laughs> He's um, just the belt at this point. It's all he cares about. Legend. What a gunner. Um, back. Um, yeah, this was. Skywheelers, I thought, were generally okay, and they got some decent stuff offensively. They just don't have the size to match up with Matthias in really any of their configurations of players. No, because they went... Obviously, they start um, sort of Nico, and they start too big, and they switched to three big pretty early on, and kind of like that was when I thought they had their best chance of maybe sticking around, but... I don't know if you switch to three big to match up with another team that's massive and your three big can't hang with them or isn't big enough to match up. Like being slightly bigger, but still not big enough doesn't yeah, this really is make kind, a difference. This is kind of what we talked about when you guys did had your Super Cup game against Elunion and you started four bigs and then you're like, oh, well, their two guys are still Bill and Hasso. So unless we can get on each other's shoulders, <laughs> there's no point being a bit closer to all of them. Yeah, there's like a minimum height below someone that you actually start bothering them and it kind of doesn't really matter if you don't get there. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. We'll we'll pick the maddest example in the world. Like Lee Manning posts me up, me getting a chair that's an inch taller doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't make me an inch closer to annoying his post up like because there's a level below which he can't yeah. see me when he's looking at the basket um yeah, that's but, um yeah that was the story of this game i was watching this be like ah katarina lang is good um she kind of was a little inefficient in this game had some trouble because i don't know if you're if you're big in the women's game and you come over and play in the mixed game in the German league and play against giants, you might have some trouble, but yeah, uh, not a, not a whole lot left to talk about here. I don't think, um, shout out to Munsterland, shout out to Matthias Bellers, 68% for 31 points is quite cool. I did have a, um, I had a brief look at the standings for both Spain and Germany. And I think, if you look at the German standings as of right now, Munsterland, if the German playoffs or Final Four or whatever they call it were to trigger tomorrow, Munsterland would be in the Final Four, which is pretty badass. So shout out to them. Legends. I read it. All right. Last game of the week. Yeah. Uh, Thuringen Bulls, 91. Um, Trier Dolphins, 42. I just had a complete brain fart there. So this was... At halftime, this game was 54-17 to Thuringen. And the key element of that half-game score is that the score had been 8-all at one point. (laughs) Uh, Hey, guys, we might be in... Oh, no. No, no, we might not be in this. Um, I mean, Trier were pretty shorthanded. They only went with seven players. Um, They had to play... Lucas Young, who's uh one pointer who's pretty physically impaired. I don't think has played a lot for them all season because they kind of they work the points and play like uh Nestle Passman plays a lot and she plays the mid, and then uh they have Annabelle Breuer and stack some higher point players around her. So yeah, trying to debut your one pointer who's a true one pointer, it's a 
tough ask to roll them out against the ring and be like, hey, do you mind playing 40 minutes against maybe the most physically imposing team in wheelchair basketball anywhere? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's a lot to ask. And we see, once again, the thing of the really good teams in Germany being able to give Dirk Pass one a little bit of trouble. Um, yeah, he, he did have he did have more points um, in this game than he did against Hamburg last week, which is kind of funny in and of itself. Yeah, yeah that's that, a weird one. That was probably because they were just defending him with one player because they have got guys that they feel can guard him one-on-one, whereas Hamburg were like, hey, what happens if we defend Dirk Passavan with seven guys? Yeah. Um, any weird plus minus stuff here? Uh, Vahid plus 37. Yeah, not a yeah, lot going on here. No records broken. I love Vahid being like, What? No size, you say? All right, <laughs> don't mind if I do. Yeah, well, uh, we talked about it last week with Thuringham. They didn't start their two big lineup for the second week in a row, so they started Kelly's Podniak, Jody Ruiz, Jens Albrecht, Alex Haluski, and Joachim Linden, and they went. Haluski out for Vahid in pretty short order, uh, about like four or five minutes in. Yeah. I actually think against a team like Trier, I mean, not the, if you're throwing it, you don't really have to worry about matchups in this case because you were smoking them. But I think Vahid being relentlessly willing to go inside is maybe more punishing against a team than Haluski being like, I'm. The thing you talked about with Pappy, where he's like, I'm perfectly happy to stay outside and shoot this. But he'd be like, well, I could do that, or I could be in the charge circle whenever I feel like it. Yeah, I could do this, but also get out of my way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is just, just so much better than every team. And I think, in a way, going eight all in the first handful of minutes is almost the worst thing Trio could have done for themselves. Because I think they like triggered it. Corey Rossi got a and one layup and like went for his free throw and the Bulls coach called a timeout. And then I don't know what he must have said to them or if he was just like, hey, come on, guys, we know we're better than this team. But it was then 46-9 for the rest of the half. So it's like, yeah, they they poked the bear on that one a little bit. Yeah, like there's a weird thing that yeah, you kind of you kind of want to just be like, hey, let's quietly see if we can get away with this. Yeah. Like, there's a really stupid thing that I'll do every so often where it's like, I don't know, we'll run a certain set or even we won't. And if we're running a sideline, I'll just kind of float on the baseline and try and make eye contact with whoever's yeah. inbounding to be like, hey, if this guy falls asleep, I'm just going to cut back door and get a layup. And like every time pushing back up the floor, it's like, it was David all last year and it's us here a lot of the time this year where I'm like, I didn't want to call because I didn't want them to hear yeah. me. Like, this is a thing of like, if I can just keep getting away with this, yeah, that... not like celebrate it or scream too much, like yeah. that might be lovely. Not shout, look where I am as soon as like, the yeah. ball. Yeah, yeah you that... almost want to be like, hey guys, they might not know it's it, it currently. <laughs> yeah, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if like Tria's best game plan would have been like, hey, let's just see if we can stick at like seven or eight points behind for the entire game, like just far away enough they don't feel like they need to call a timeout. And then, yeah. like, hey, let's get Dirk Passavan two threes and see if we can steal one. But like yeah. that, that wouldn't have happened either. But no, yeah, I think the 8 8 thing is like, don't force the well, obviously, do because you want to try and win the game. But it's unfortunate when you're sticking with the better team for five minutes. 
causes them to really stop and reconsider and be like, yes, we are the better team. Allow us to go out and prove that. Yeah. I don't know. Turingen probably at some point just find a way to have like a 40 point quarter anyway, don't they? Like, I guess any team that isn't Landil, they're probably going to have a 30 point quarter. Like, I think um, 37 points in this quarter is second only to their 41 point quarter they had against Hot Rolling Bears. So they have the two highest scoring quarters that we've talked about. And I think if we jumped over to Italy very quickly, Gillian overscored like 43 points in an entire game this weekend just gone and throwing yeah. a nearly reach him out in 10 minutes. So Yeah, so it must have been a pretty good time out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't got know what he said, but it worked. Got his money's worth out of that minute. Oh, right. Exactly. Should Excellent. we do the belt before we get out of here? Yeah. Who who gets the belt for you? What are your thoughts? Filipski. Yeah. That's kind of what I had. I think you could get like cutesy and give it to somebody from the Vidalid and um, Mercia game, but Philipski highest stakes in either league. It's like if Landil and Durangan played, we could have a conversation, but like this is the top two teams in Spain played, and one guy made a difference. Philipski went out, Illunion inched back, and Philipski's like, hey, just sub me back in and we'll be fine. So, yeah, that's kind of the belt in and of itself. Yes, because we get to decide. All right. I think that's us then. It is. Shall we get out of here? Yes, we shall. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. And, yeah, a couple of days' time, we will have the episode with CJ coming out. Uh, Listen to that. Um, Feel free to like, like this or share this or tell a friend to tell a friend or, yeah. Yeah. No games if you want. coming up, um, so there won't be a roundup. And I either will or won't be back for the next one, depending on when that is. So, James, you might be flying solo, depending yes. on when the next episode is. Yeah, next episode will be a bit weird anyway, because there are no games. And also, Mark might not be here because he's, uh, he's due to be a father any day now. So... Stuff might get a little bit weird, so I apologize in advance. And yeah, I'll try and do my best. Don't give me any abuse, please. (laughs) Take it easy. I won't. Have a nice couple of days and be good. All right. Bye.